Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our newborn King, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When you read through the Bible, I'm sure you've heard this before, a phrase that you hear over and over again is the phrase, the fear of the Lord. We heard it in our Old Testament reading today in Psalm 111. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. And so that that word fear, it comes up time and time again, that we ought to fear the Lord. In fact, Christians are described as the people who fear the Lord. But what, what does that mean, to fear the Lord? Now, a lot of people, when they, when they hear that phrase, sometimes they indicate that it means that we should have a holy awe and respect for the Lord. And, and I, I've heard it taught that way by, by well-meaning people. They say, well, God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. So it means that we should have an awe and respect for God. But there's a problem with that, namely that if God wanted to say an awe and respect, then he could have said it. Those words are in the Bible, but that's not what he says. He says that we should have a fear of the Lord. If you've uh, read or heard or memorized Martin Luther's small catechism before, it's the book that we use to explain the the simple teachings of the, the basics of the Christian faith. Well, Martin Luther explains the Ten Commandments, and in doing so, he often uses the word fear. Starting with the first commandment, Martin Luther says, the first commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods. He explains that the meaning of that commandment is we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. In other words, the, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, teaches us that in order not to have any other gods, we should fear God, we should love God, and we should trust God above everything else. I thought about this. I thought if you were to go out into the street and ask people three simple questions, what do you love most of all? What do you trust most of all? And what do you fear most of all? I think for a lot of those, if, if you were to go out, you would be able to predict some of those answers. So if you ask people, what do you love most of all? I think you'd get a lot of similar answers. I would guess that almost everyone you talk to would say something like, well, I love my family. I love my spouse. I love my kids. Of course, you get probably some people who have oddball answers, like I love my dog most of all, or something like that. But but you'd also get people of faith, right, who say, I love God most of all, and that's good. And then if you were to ask people, what do you trust most of all? I bet many of the answers would be the same there too. I trust my family. I trust my spouse. I trust my kids. I trust God most of all. Those would be pretty predictable as well. They would be good answers, but you notice something. Those are good answers, but you don't learn all that much about the person you're asking those questions. But when you get to the third question, when you ask someone, what do you fear most of all? I think that's when you're going to get some different answers because it depends on the person you're asking. When you're asking about what someone fears the most, that's when you're really going to learn something about them. That's when you begin to figure out who this person is. 
And that's true for all of us, isn't it? That we begin to think about and realize when we, when we think about and realize what it is we fear, well, then we begin to understand what our God is, what it is we worship in life. You see, the first commandment tells us not to have any other gods besides him. Instead, what he's saying is that we... Uh, Uh, The the first command tells us not to have any other gods, and God doesn't mean that there are other gods, but what he means is that when we fear something in this world above him, we are making that thing a god. That thing is holding a position of, of authority in our life, and it's true also for what we trust most of all and what we love most of all, but it's also true in what we fear most of all. When we fear something, we are exalting it in our life. We are lifting it up. We are giving it a special place. We are giving it authority over us, actually. The thing we fear shapes our lives. It shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we feel. It shapes the way we talk. It shapes the way we act. We make decisions based on fear. As an example, take the fear of being financially destitute. If that's your fear, well, then fear of poverty, your life will be shaped by trying to avoid poverty. And you'll make your decisions, whether they're good or bad, and an attempt at all costs to keep you from poverty. Or take another, take another example, the fear of dying. That will also shape your life. It will shape the things that you do and shape the things that you don't do. It will put limits around you. It will will hem you in. The fear of death lifts up death. And it's an act of worship in our lives. We take what we fear, we take what, what, what it is we fear the most, and we let it have authority over us. Now, since I mentioned it, the fear of death is an especially powerful fear for us humans. In fact, it might be, just generally speaking, our greatest fear. Interestingly enough, it's talked about in Scripture, the fear of death, as slavery. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, says, Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself, likewise, partook of similar things, flesh and blood, That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The fear of death is lifelong slavery. And it's a slavery to the devil himself. And the devil uses this fear of death to hold us in his power. And we can see this in any number of ways. We can certainly think about how that might be true in what we see around us or maybe even in our own lives. But think for a moment now about the martyrs of the Christian faith. The people who throughout history and throughout the world have given their life for the name of Jesus Christ. Today, December 26th is actually the feast of St. Stephen. What's the phrase from uh, Good old King Wenceslaus, that carol, does anyone know that? It mentions they were walking on the feast of St. Stephen, December 26th. St. Stephen was the first Christian martyr who in the book of Acts understood very well the freedom that Christ won for him. So much so that when it came time for him to give his life, he was not afraid 
to die. In fact, just like much like Jesus did from the cross, Stephen, while people were getting ready to kill him, throw stones at him, he asked God to forgive them. And he rested in Christ's peace. But there were plenty others throughout the history of the church who also lost their lives for the name of Jesus. And they also were faithful unto death. Back in Roman times, early Christians were commanded to offer a pinch of incense and to say that Caesar is Lord. In direct contradiction to saying that Jesus is Lord. And if they didn't, they were going to be killed. Now, many remained faithful. Many did not do that. Many stayed true to God, and and so they gave their lives to their faith. But there were many others who were afraid to die, who were in slavery to fear. And And I think that there is this natural inborn fear of death within human beings, and so many people did commit idolatry. They offered that pinch of incense and said, Caesar is Lord, because they were afraid. And the devil uses that fear, particularly the fear of death, to hold a person in slavery. But whatever we might be afraid of in this life, it does something. It gives status. It gives power. It gives authority and dominion to whatever it is we fear. We say to that thing, you are Lord over me. You can tell me what to do. You can manipulate me. You can make me act in certain ways. You can make me think certain things. If I'm afraid of drowning, then I'm not going to go near the water. If I'm afraid of abandonment, then I'm not going to open up to people and at the risk that they might leave me. If I'm afraid of public shame and public denouncement, then I'm not going to confess the name of Jesus Christ, especially nowadays. Whatever it is, our fears shape our lives. And this is why, then, that the fear of God first and foremost, means actual fear of God. Because it is only the fear of God that can set us free from the slavery to all other fears. And the reason for this is because the fear of God is an exclusive fear. It alone cancels out all our other fears. When the Bible says that we should fear God, it doesn't mean, well, amongst all the other things you're going to fear in this life, add God to the list. No, when the Bible says that you should fear God, it means you fear God alone and nothing else. The fear of God is exclusive. There should be this throne in our lives that's marked the the thing we fear, and God alone should be on it. I want you to imagine something for a few moments. I won't have you close your eyes. I don't want anyone falling asleep. But just imagine this with me for a moment. Imagine that you are in the presence of God himself. It's just you and God. And and it could be in heaven. It could be on earth or anywhere. And you're standing there and it's just you and God. And then there's this long line of things, as far as the eye can see, of all these things that want you to be afraid of them. And that line, that's going to be different for each and every one of us. Different things that want to demand our fear. But there will be some similar things in that line. Things like death. Death is likely to be in a lot of people's lines. And so death stands there and says, I want you to be afraid of me. And we might say, well, death, you are pretty scary. I think I should be afraid of you. And and so we look over to God and we say, God, should we be afraid of death? And God says, no. 
And he points at himself and he says, you should only be afraid of me. And then next comes pain. And pain stands there and says, hey, you should be afraid of me. And we say, oh, well, that sounds right. Pain is an awful thing to endure in this life. I think I should be afraid of pain. And we look at God and God says, no, you should only be afraid of me. And then next comes sickness and cancer and COVID and loneliness and failure. And who knows what else? Some of us might be afraid that things are going to go wrong in our body. Or some of us are afraid that things are going to go wrong in our mind. Some of us have social fears. Some of us are afraid for our family or our loved ones. Some of us are afraid for our life that we're not going to accomplish what we want. That we'll be a nobody. There's all sorts of things that we might be afraid of. All those things lined up, everything that you could possibly be afraid of, lined up in that line. And for each one, we turn to God and we say, should we be afraid of all of these things? And God says, no, do not be afraid of those things. Do not worship those things. Do not exalt these things and let them have power over you. They are not your creator. They are not your God. You shall have no other gods. Worship me alone. Be afraid of me alone. Do you remember that verse from Jesus? It's really quite profound when we hear it. It's from Matthew chapter 10. And and Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In other words, the reason why we fear God and God alone is because judgment belongs to God alone. And we are going to stand before God on the last day and and he will be the one who determines where we go, heaven or hell. And that is why we fear him and him only. God is the only one who will judge us. So if you're still in that scenario with me where everything you fear is lined up and, and everything comes up one after another and to all of them, God says no, no, and no. Until finally there's nothing left, nothing in all creation is left to demand your fear except for God. And so we turn to God and we say, God, you're the only one left. So you get all of my fear. You deserve my fear. I am in slavery only to you because I know you're my creator and everything else is your creation. You are the holy one and I am a sinner and I know that judgment belongs to you alone. Therefore, I fear you. I worship you. There is no other God except for you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. Because when we realize that the Lord and the Lord alone deserves all of our fear, then we see that that is the moment that God turns to us and says, yes, but do not be afraid. You see, the Lord looks at you and he says, fear not. 
If you've been wondering why I've been talking about fear and fearing God on this first Sunday after Christmas, just one day removed from Christmas Day, the day we celebrate our Lord's birth, it's because this wisdom is absolutely critical so that we may understand why the birth of Jesus Christ was, in fact, good news. Isn't that what the angel said to the shepherds who were terrified? And they should have been terrified. To encounter something heavenly isn't automatically a good thing for us humans. When sinners come into the presence of the divine, the first instinct that we would and should have is to be afraid. The news that God has come, that the Son of God has arrived here on earth, the very message of Christmas itself wouldn't have been assumed to be good news because you first have to answer the question, well, why is he here? Is the Son of God here to judge us in his righteousness? Well, he could be, and he would be right to do so. But what did the angels say? Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, one who saves you, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God does deserve our fear, but he is also the God who wants us to know how much he loves us. And because of his love, we don't need to be afraid. He loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, his son who lived for us, his son who would suffer and shed his own blood for us to forgive all of our sins, all the things that would keep us separated from God, his son who would take our place under God's righteous judgment as he suffered all on the cross, our God, our, the son of God who would rise again and is now preparing a place for us so that we might live forever with him in heaven. God points to his son and he says, look at how much I love you. Do not be afraid. And this then is the gospel. This then is the good news of Christmas and of our faith. That when we fear God and that fear of God has done its wise work, the beginning of wisdom, and has, has freed us from all other fears that would enslave us, has cast out all the things that would make wrongful demands on our life, has cast down all the idols that we love to make in our life, cast down all those false gods off the throne of fear, when we realize that God alone deserves our fear and he alone sits on the throne, that is when God says to us, do not be afraid. I love you, and I give you my son so that you might be free from fear forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. Jesus, the word of God and the wisdom of God, entered our world at Christmas to break down and destroy everything that might cause us to be afraid. We saw another example of how God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, seeing how he has worked this day in Penelope's life. He has come to her 
today in the saving waters of baptism and said, this is my little lamb, a child of God for whom I gave my life. She will never need to be afraid because I have brought her my peace. And we remember this day that he has said that to all of us. He has brought us his peace. Peace with God, our Heavenly Father, because Jesus has forgiven all of our sins. And peace with others because God loves the whole world. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So anytime that you hear or read the word fear in the Bible, it's okay. Let it mean fear. Because you can rejoice in the fear of the Lord that sets you free from all the other fears in this world that might enslave you. And then you can also worship the one who has told you, do not be afraid. Because Jesus Christ has indeed brought you his peace. In his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We stand to sing together the offertory hymn.